Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Either you're with us or you're with the terrorists. If you've got health care already, then you can keep your plan if you are satisfied with it. Donald Trump is not going to be president of the United States. Take it to the bank. Together, we will make America great again. We shall never surrender. Never surrender. It's what you've been waiting for all day. Buck Sexton with America Now. Join the conversation. Call Buck Toll Free at 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. Sharp mind, strong voice. Buck Sexton. Hey, you've got Buck Sexton with America Now. Buck is out. Brian Suits filling in for Buck today. I am headquartered at KFI in Los Angeles as I look out at the uh, the fine, fine city of Sherman Oaks, um, we have a lot of news today. It's it's already Monday, and my spidey sense tells me here that if Monday is as dense as it is, this might be a heck of a week. It might, it might require a North Korean nuclear bomb to push aside some of the news we may be getting. If you have not been paying attention, let me just catch you up to this. Mooch is out. Anthony Scaramucci, early uh, today, let's call it uh, noonish, East Coast, to the delight of uh, autoerotic yoga aficionados around the world and paranoid schizophrenics. The mooch is out. Priebus is out on Friday and then unceremoniously has to take a van away from Air Force One. And we thought, well, there's a story. That's the ignominious exit of the month. We close out July with Reince Priebus. And most people scratching their heads saying, why was he hired in the first place? But regardless, he's out. It's academic. It's gone. And then he does his what was me tour on CNN. I'm with the Trump agenda. I'm still a Trump fan. Looking exactly like the beta male that he always has been all of his life. It's a miracle, his children. And then, I'll be honest with you, and uh, we, we, uh, we, we can poll the room. I was, I was fairly shocked. Because I thought that the the cake was setting on Friday when Trump announced that General Kelly would be pulled out of DHS and that he would become the chief of staff. It, it really looked like the, the news cycle ended on Friday with the, you know, the music ended, the chairs were there, and everyone had a seat. And so evidently something happened over the weekend because this is not stuff, this is not stuff that happens at 6 a.m. D.C. time. This this is something that had to happen over the weekend. And also over the weekend, if you're Donald Trump and, and you do know, does everybody out there understand that there's a set of rules for the president, whether it's Obama or it's Trump, and then there's a set of rules for everybody else? Now, Donald Trump has his own past, well-documented. He's answered for it or he's not answered for it. But Anthony Scaramucci, a guy who was ripping Trump a year ago, and then was leg-humping for a gig six months ago, but he got blocked by Priebus, finally gets in, and then what does he drag along with him? We The entire divorce thing comes out, and then you, you talk about stepping on, on your own Scaramucci. He, he tapes an interview with the New York Times. He's told it's on the record, it's taped, and he still goes off on a profanity-laced tirade and accuses senior advisor Steve Bannon, again, of uh, the extraordinary ability, of, especially for a man of his age, to pleasure himself 
while uh, bending into heretofore unthought impossible positions. And then calling Reince Priebus a paranoid schizophrenic because Reince Priebus was leaking everything. And that probably didn't do Scaramucci a lot of good. And we're, we're finding behind the scenes that General Kelly is, is evidently one of those men of impeccable honor. So isn't that an—I I don't know how he even is let into the, uh, the 202 area code in D.C. But after Comey was fired, Kelly didn't like that. He was not a big fan of that. And it was actually Comey that talked him off the ledge, and so that's why General Kelly stayed. So he is, he is a man, especially, especially in the Marine Corps, you're a four-star general, you have a staff, and that staff listen to you. You can war game it, you can have a discussion, you can do whatever you want, but ultimately you make the call. So the guy knows how to run a tight ship, and he doesn't want any loose cannons. And so he takes over as chief of staff, and if you don't know how the organizational chart works, the chief of staff is not the suggester of staff. He is the chief of staff, and the director of communications is part of the staff. And so follow your line chart. He answers to the chief of staff. So this is the guy who, knowing he's on the record, allows to be taped by the New York Times saying that Steve Bannon um, cleans a male chicken like a kitty. That's my euphemism, and you can read between the lines all you want. Obviously, Kelly says, and here's the deal, on, on, on Kelly's staff in the Marine Corps, if one of his staff weasels, if one of his leg humpers in the Marine Corps had been overheard in the chow hall saying that about the, uh, the, the 14th Regiment's commander or whatever, that, that guy would be out. That captain would now be a captain in charge of the hydraulic systems on the USS going nowhere. So Kelly runs a tight ship, and that is evidence today by the surprise announcement that Anthony Scaramucci is out. Now, did Anthony Scaramucci ever fit in with the people who voted for Donald Trump for president? We'll get into that in a second, because I, I know full well and that that and, and I think if there is a certain myopia in this administration, it is it, it is very, very, very New York centric. But let's um, let's start with. Uh, with new chief of staff John Kelly, former Marine Corps General John Kelly, President Trump this morning letting the press into a cabinet meeting. Some of the I saw some of the press was already getting their panties in a wad because he called it a boardroom and whatever. And I mean, like I'm one of those people who, if if, if uh, and obviously I, I want to win, I want to succeed. I'd like to see some winning. Some winning would be nice. But I am one of those Americans who, for a long, long time, have said. Get me a guy from business. Get me a guy who can run it like a well-oiled machine, at least the executive branch. I understand how laws are made. Laws are made through conciliation and agreement, and you give and you take and the whole thing. I, I get that. That's not how Tesla was made. That's not how Twitter was made. That's not how Amazon was made. They didn't compromise. But those guys aren't running for president now, are they? So uh, this was the uh, president introducing after uh, General John Kelly was sworn in. We call this cut one. Good morning. This is our first cabinet meeting with General Kelly. He will be chief of staff, as you know. We all know him. We respect him, admire what he's done. And uh, at Homeland, what he has done has been nothing short of miraculous. As you know, the border was a tremendous problem and now close to 80 percent stoppage. And uh, so I just want to congratulate him on the great job he's done 
with Homeland Security, and I have no doubt that he will be a, an absolutely superb chief of staff. Of course he will be. He was, he was great. John Kelly was awesome in Homeland, especially season three. Dropped off kind of after that. But here's, here is the problem, is that General John Kelly is used to absolute immediate obedience of his orders. And if he does throw something open to the floor for discussion, in, in a lot of ways, in, in the Army and the Marine Corps orders process, when a general says, all right, that's my general idea, what are your thoughts? The, this day and age, I mean, this is in my experience, uh, going to three wars as, as an enlisted guy, a sergeant, as an officer, when, when a general presents a op war, an operations order, and they distribute the copies and everyone has theirs, my company commander has his and the whole thing, whenever they say, what are your questions, you're not allowed to raise your hand and say, uh, yeah, sir, here, um, phase three is absolutely a goat screw uh, because uh, the road that you think is there is actually not there. You're not allowed to say that, okay? And so that's where if Kelly uh, fails, it'll be because he'll be discussing his plans with a bunch of people who've never been in the military. Now, I guarantee Mattis, McMaster, and Kelly can be together on a sofa, thick as thieves, and they will speak each other's language, and I really, really hope that President Mattis and President McMaster and President Kelly get together and, and do that stuff. The real problem will, will also not be Kelly to the staff. It's going to be Kelly up because, I don't know, as I know Trump's business bio, I don't recall him ever hiring an ass kicker. I don't recall him ever saying, ah, you know what, I really need to get my, my, my poop in a group and get, it, get everything in order. I need to hire a personal lifestyle coach who will keep me uh, on time, because that's effectively what, what Kelly is. Uh, all right, when, um, later on this hour, we'll, we'll take your calls about Scaramucci and how you think he went over in, in middle America. And we also have some Sarah Huckabee uh, comments on Scaramucci. And I got news for you. This, spoiler alert. She doesn't have a heck of a lot to say. Uh, we will take your calls throughout the show, 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-BUCK. Also, at the bottom of the hour... You know him, you love him, Captain Dale Dye from movies, from TV, the Hollywood's premier technical advisor for war films. He is funding a movie about an extraordinary episode in, in the, during uh, D-Day in June of 1944, a, a really astounding story of American courage. But he is self-funding it with your contributions because he wants to hire veterans to star in it and to be behind the cameras because, as as, as he'll explain— Oftentimes, you're working with actors who, frankly, don't agree with the material they're being presented, but they want the paycheck. He doesn't want that. So we'll talk with uh, Dale Dye, the uh, Hollywood legend, when um, the, at uh, the bottom of the hour. So here, here's the thing I want to bounce off of you. And uh, I say this as a disclaimer, all right? I, I have never lived east of the Rockies, and except when I'm out of the country. And when I say East of the Rockies, that does not include Sarajevo, Baghdad, Central Africa, uh, Europe, you know, et cetera. Other places where I've been in uniform or out of uniform, it doesn't include that. That being said, as someone, someone from the West, when I see Anthony Scaramucci, because there are Italians west of the, of the Rocky Mountains, all right? That's, that's documented, all right? And especially in, in California, the great Italian-American nation is celebrated, especially in San Francisco, with the likes of— Nancy Pelosi's husband, who's the Italian guy, and, and et cetera. But here's what I sense from 
the people that you fly over from the Iowa and the Ohio and the Illinois and the Minnesota, the Wisconsin, is that you get a guy in a beautiful suit, tailored suit, hedge, fan, hedge fund manager, obviously pays a lot of attention to his outward countenance, his outward appearance, uh, beautiful hair, thick head of hair, not losing not an inch of his hairline, complete slicky boy, plus his name is Anthony Scaramucci. And he does the tough guy swearing left and right. You know what I hear amongst a lot of people who voted for Trump is I'm a little uncomfortable with that guy. He's he's a little too sort of Hollywoodish. I mean, if if I went to a studio, if I went down the street to CBS or over the hill to a movie studio, and I'm making a movie or a TV show, and I I say to Central Casting, yeah, you know what I need? I need a guy who who's either going to be a Vegas pit boss. Or he's going to be like a lower-level Goomba mobster, and he's going to be fast-talking, and he's going to be dropping F-bombs, and he has to have perfect hair and the whole thing. They send me Anthony Scaramucci. And, and again, this is kind of the news for New York, and it's um, that that particular optic doesn't work a heck of a lot in middle America. Now, I'm not saying get Larry the Cable Guy behind the uh, the podium, because we, we like— we like seeing people smarter than us in government. Um, and there's no doubt that Anthony Scaramucci is a brilliant guy because he went out on his own. This is a guy who came up from middle class, started a hedge fund, made his hundreds of millions. Now, his life choices, those are his. I won't even get into what we discovered on Friday about his wife divorcing him, him having a kid last Monday, not being there, all that stuff. Water under the bridge. And he is no longer with the administration anymore, so it's that's not fair game at this point. I'm just saying that when I saw that selection as director of communications, I thought, well, okay, if he's behind the scenes, who cares? Just get get out front somebody who either sounds like or looks like the people that voted for Trump. But Scaramucci just kept sucking up the oxygen. So uh, that is kind of the problem that they were dealing with. I'm not sure. It looks like uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders is going to be it. It. She uh, someone someone tagged her, ran away, so she's it. Till uh, till further notice, we'll come back and hear from her um, a little bit. She did a, a brief presser after a Medal of Honor ceremony at the White House today, kicking off the week. So eight four four nine hundred buck eight four four nine zero zero buck. My Twitter feed at Dark Secret Place. I'm Brian Suits. Based here in Los Angeles and filling in for Buck, you have Buck Sexton with America Now. Welcome back. Buck Sexton with America Now. Brian Suits filling in for Buck. Scaramucci out. Huckabee apparently back. And we don't know who's going to be the director of communications. The spokesperson is is different from the director of communications. And it was uh, ominous because as the crowd uh, filed into the East Room of the White House for a Medal of Honor ceremony, Today, there was Sean Spicer. So all of the Dancing with the Stars talk, I don't know, and you can maybe put that aside. We'll take some phone calls here in just a second, and then we'll talk with Dale Dye at the bottom of the hour. But the press conference was a little late today, and obviously thing one, after some of the prepared stuff, H.R. McMaster talked about Venezuela, and everyone fell asleep. And then uh, Sarah Huckabee got up there, Sarah Sanders got up there, and sure enough, of course, the Scaramucci question was question number one. And question one number one is here in clip number two. 
The president certainly felt uh, that Anthony's comments were inappropriate for a person in that position. Um, and he didn't want to burden General Kelly uh, also with that line of succession, as I think we've made clear uh, a few times over the course of the last couple of days to several of you individually. But uh, General Kelly has the full authority um, to operate within the White House, and all staff will report to him. And that's how it's supposed to work, is if you're staff, you answer to the chief of staff. Again, General Kelly's not the suggester of staff. And so clearly he said to Trump, I know you have the special deal with Shorty McProfanity here, but he needs to answer to me. I can't have this guy doing end arounds into the Oval Office uh, when I'm not there in the meeting. And Trump said, I agree. I've, clearly he said, I agree. And they bring Mooch in and it might have gone like this. Will you work for John Kelly? Nope, I'm supposed to work directly for you. All right, then don't you want to spend more time with your family? Oh, sorry. Wrong uh, wrong phrase. Well, anyway, don't. wouldn't you rather quit? So that is probably how it went down. But how do you spin that? And obviously, in this news cycle, I don't even know why you come up with an excuse because it's going to be forgotten by the end of the day. But anyway, the, Sarah Huckabee had a whole bunch of number two about that, and she had that in cut three. Look, we're continuing to focus on the president's agenda. Uh, we're going to have staff changes. We let you guys know when they happen. But like I said earlier, what matters to us are not uh, the jobs that are within this building, but the ones outside of there. That's why the president's been so focused on growing jobs. Bada bing. That is the one that they came up with on Friday. And I got to say, on Friday, that was genius. Priebus is out. And they're talking to the White House, and the White House answer is, we're not interested in the one job that's no longer here at the White House. We're interested in all the jobs out there in America. That's great. Great turnabout. It, it works fine. Great deflection. And who knew it would have to be used so quickly uh, as it was earlier today? All right, let's uh, crank a call in here. Gary, North Carolina, thanks for calling Buck Sexton with America Now. Hey, Brian, you're doing a great job, man. Thanks for taking my call. Excellent. You're doing a great job on the phone as well. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, uh, I think you're I think you're on point with um, uh, Kelly uh, being hired. I, I wonder if you think that maybe Ryan Priebus was uh, the wrong man for the job and not advising Trump not to hire Scaramucci in the first place. I think from the get-go, he, he, was, he was the wrong guy. <laughs> Uh, and, and also, by the way, if the Republicans don't think that their emails were hacked, believe me, at a time and place of, of Putin's choosing, if there had been any pushback or anything like that, you would have seen Reince to Jeb, subject, Trump is a zoo piece. You would have seen those released because, of course, there are other. I didn't understand why he hired him anyway, because that's the guy who ran the Republican Party into the ground. I don't know why he was the chair of the GOP, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't pee on him if he was on fire. So that's that's my my long and short of Reince Priebus. Uh, and it, it took me seven years to get his name right. Now he's gone. All right. Dale Dye, legendary film and TV technical advisor and actor. Uh, he has a film project. We need your help. Uh, he's going to talk about his GoFundMe project for an extraordinary World War II movie, movie that's going to employ veterans. Brian Suit filling in. You've got Buck Sexton with America Now. He's back with you now because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops.
Welcome back. Buck Sexton with America Now. Brian Tude filling in for Buck, 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-BUCK. We'll uh, get get on a little more about uh, some of the events in Washington. Also, the stupidest crew of county jail escapees, I think, in uh, recent times. Uh, If you have seen a war movie over the past 20 years and you said, wow, that's authentic, wow, those actors really almost seem like maybe they've even possibly been in the military. Wow, even that Matt Damon is believable as a airborne private. (laughs) And and Tom Hanks makes it kind of old, but he's a good company commander. Well, you can thank my guest, Dale Dye, technical advisor to Steven Spielberg and dozens of others. And uh, you you know him by his voice, and he he is still a silver fox. Captain Dye, how are you doing today? Hey, Brian, how are you? Sorry about the silver fox thing. I'm I am kind of gay for you. No, I, I get it, man. I'm I'm fine with that. in that in that <laughs> marine way. Names I'm called. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um. So the the reason you're on you you have been at the shoulder of Steven Spielberg and and other of some of the most decorated directors in in Hollywood. Guys who can tell an amazing story. Spielberg's Saving Private Ryan for many people is a gold standard of war movies in no small part to your contribution, training those actors, etc. You have a story about an extraordinary battle on, on June 6, 1944, D-Day. You could, you could go pitch those guys this story, and it's a slam dunk. This movie that you want to make, no better, no better place to die. Why do you want to make this movie your way? Well, I just think it's time, Brian. Uh, frankly, you know, Hollywood has not been real kind to the veteran community. Uh, I get, I get hundreds, literally hundreds, of emails, calls, letters um, every year from young men and women uh, taking off the uniform, and you know, they want to do what I do. They want to be the next Captain Die, and uh, or they or they want to be an actor, or they want to be a writer, or they want to be a technician of some kind. And Hollywood is just a tremendously tough nut to crack. Um, and and so given that and the fact that I had this story in mind for quite a while and frankly didn't do too well uh, trying to get studios behind it, the common uh, way that uh, major movies are made, I just decided, you know, I'm, I'm going to do this outside the box. I'm going to do this um, in the old uh, military way. I'm going to fix bayonets and I'm going to charge. And when I get ready, I'm going to hire as many of those young veterans as I can, both in front of the camera and behind the camera, because it's time for Hollywood to take a good look at the talent pool. It's tremendously deep, and they're not getting a fair shot. So that's one reason that I'm, I'm trying to do this thing. Uh, the other reason, frankly, is because I want to control this. I want this story to be the real deal. Um, I want to take all of that skill and talent and education that I got working at the elbow of these enormous directors who were kind enough to teach me filmmaking, and I want to put it on display. I want to tell a World War II story. I want to do the airborne version. If you had to do the, the log line, I want to do the airborne version of Saving Private Ryan, where you saw Tom on the beach um, at Omaha, I want to put my actors in those C-47s parachuting in before the beach landings take place. And you would like to work with actors who actually know before they hit the set which end the bullet comes out of. Yes, <laughs> I 
that how, how the helmet works, what direction is front for the helmet, uh, et cetera, all those little details. Yeah, yeah uh, but, but the interesting thing about it, Brian, is is that if, if I get this done the way I want to, the big challenge is going to be detraining them. I mean, I've got you. You can't carry an M1 in World War II like you do the M4, you know, in the low ready. And so I'm, I'm going to have to put them through a period of detraining them, taking all that out of them, and putting in the World War II modes. So that should be fun. That would be fun to watch. To watch modern modern yeah. guys who have the physicality, but they're used to this, you know, Cadillac equipment that we've had over the over the past 15 years. And and going yeah. old school to a to a well an M one was like eleven pounds or something like that right Nine eleven half. twelve yeah, pounds right. is that what it was okay um, or B A R or whatever no that would be really interesting and so real quickly the 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 battle the the battle what what do you call it? the battle of Lafier Bridge or what what what's it generally Lafayette known as Bridge yeah it's it's called Lafier Bridge uh, Brian and and the deal is the it was an assignment given to the 82nd Airborne Division, and a small paratroopers were scattered all over the Cotentin Peninsula. But they came together, knew the commander's intent, knew that they had to take this bridge and a 750-meter causeway that led on the other side of it. To do that, they had to take and, and hold a manor house that overlooked the bridge. And had they not taken it and held it against furious German assaults, including tanks and artillery, constant pounding, had they not held that bridge, the Germans would have driven right across it, right through San Mariglase, counterattacked Omaha, counterattacked Utah, and probably thrown the D-Day landings back into the sea. And for a lot of people who don't read the history books, and they, maybe they watch Saving Private Ryan, there's this misimpression that D-Day was these guys who just attacked a pillbox and flamethrowered it out, and then that was it. Well, look at well, that. We got the beach. It's all good. <laughs> Yeah, I know, and that's that's a shame, and it's one of the things I'm trying to correct with films like this. Uh, frankly, D-Day was a close-run thing. I mean, General Eisenhower even had a, a letter prepared, uh, which, thank God, he didn't have to use, which said that it had failed because it was, it was that tight a deal. And had the Germans been able to counterattack across that bridge, several bridge, across the Murderette River and down onto the beaches, it would have failed. And World War II, uh, the invasion of Nazi-occupied Europe would have been an entirely different story. And so I tweeted out a link to your Indiegogo page. Uh, it's no better place to die. And by the way, I didn't let, when we were talking about this, uh, I, what is the origin of that title, No Better Place to Die? It, it actually comes from a, an incident that happened during the battle. A sergeant and a private were in a hole. The sergeant was in, in charge of the main line of resistance up on the riverbank, and um, he was under intense pressure, and his men were going down right and left. They were almost out of ammo. So he sent the private back to find the company commander, who was a wonderful Boston Irishman by the name of First Lieutenant Red Dog Murphy, red-headed, feisty Boston Irishman. And he said, sir, we've got to pull back. We've got to pull back. We can't hold. And the lieutenant wrote him a note. He actually hand-wrote him a note and sent the private back with it. And that note said, we hold here. There is no better place to die. That's Sorry, that's not, fact that happened. that's not true. That you, you'll be thrown out of a boardroom if you ever pitch that in Hollywood. Well, it actually happened, and we can prove it. But uh, that's exactly what the response was. What a wonderful 
I think, microcosmic uh, look or expression of what soldiers do in extremis, and that's what we're trying to demonstrate in this film. That is extraordinary. So a, a warrior, Dale Dye, wants to make a movie with warriors in front of and behind the camera, and he needs your right. help. So check it out. At Dark Secret Place, I tweeted out the, the link to, uh, or you can go to, go to Indiegogo.com and look for No Better Place to Die. That's, it's, hearing you just talk about it is very moving. Well, it's it's a, a passion project, uh, to use the, the Hollywood uh, phrase, and it's really something I intend to get done. And, and the neat thing about it, uh, thanks to you and, and uh, Buck and, and some of the other people, is the word is getting out there, and we're seeing a real rumble of populist support. People are saying, you know, we're, we're tired of Spider-Man, we're tired of the Transformers, we want this movie to be made. And that's motivating to me. I mean, that's inspirational. I'm I'm ready to do this. All right. And if you need fat German artillery battery commander, you have my number. <laughs> I do, Brian. Absolutely. And who knows? I may need them. But yeah, and I, and I speak German. Yeah. So, so there you go. All right, uh, Dale Dye, Hollywood legend, uh, joins us. Thanks so much, Dye. for some time. Thanks. Thanks very much, Brian. I appreciate. Access to your audience. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you very much. There he goes, uh, Dale Dye, Hollywood legend. You know him. You love him. Um, and and also, uh, <clears throat> let me just tell you personally, a really, actually, a really, really, really good guy. And this is a terrific project. So I'll keep tweeting out a link to that project. You can go to Indiegogo and you can get a piece of the action. Donate money and and hopefully this movie uh, gets made. Uh, all right, we'll be back right after this with some more phone calls and the dumbest jail escapees, I think, in years. Uh, Brian Suits filling in Buck Sexton with America Now. He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. Brian Suits filling in for Buck Sexton with America Now, and we will get to your calls back here in a second. Here at the top of the hour, we're going to be joined by CNN Political uh, political expert and, and, and uh, analyst John Thomas about the Scaramucci out and what does this mean and can you paint this as stability or as a chaos or whatever. The uh, White House is moving on and uh, the, the health care thing is front and center. Uh, Dr. Tom Price has been out front over the weekend uh, trying to continue to salvage something out of the failure of the Senate to pass a repeal and replace Obamacare, which was a absolute no way to spin it. That was a failure. It was, it was also a failure that three Republicans voted against it. But, but then again, the, uh, the House version was so bad that the president himself called it mean-spirited. So someone has to get back under the hood and uh, do some tweaking. Um, all right, let's. Uh, I, I have the, the world's dumbest escapees here in just a second, but let's uh, take a phone call. Anne has been hanging on because she's very, very nice. Anne, thanks for calling America Now. You have uh, some, you know, really long shoes to fill. I, you, you cut out. I didn't hear what you said. But I welcome you to America Now. Yes. Um, my question is, how do I deal with Trump when he talks about dealing with the slug thug from North Korea and we've got that handled when he can handle his finger twittering? His Twitter finger? 
Well, what, how, what do you yeah. mean he can't handle it? He seems to be t- he's he's tweeting quite successfully and frequently. It seems that he, he's a it's a big win on the Twitter account. You're saying that he can't control his impulses. Right. Well, I don't know. This That's not who people elected. This is not, you know, he did not lie on the campaign trail about who he was. You know, he, he wasn't one guy out there and then suddenly he became a politician. He is the same guy. He's He's shooting straight from the lip and from the debates to the crowds. He, he hasn't changed, has he? I mean, he's in front of cops on Long Island. He, he's, I know. So, so far, no wall. You're right. He lied about the tax situations. Are you? What? 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 By the way, about that, they haven't even really started on that. I got to say, it's not a real auspicious beginning for the Trump agenda. Uh, what, what's your uh, spidey sense tell you about tax relief out of these Republicans? What? Your spidey sense. When you were Spider-Man, you know, he has a secret sense, a almost a, a, a foreboding ability, a, an ability to look into the future. Your your prognostication, do you think that you'll we'll see tax relief from these Republicans and Trump? I would hope so. Well, me too. Well, you're a busy uh, person, so I'm going to let you go, and thanks for the call. Um, all right, so here is the jail escape of the century as far as I'm concerned. Now, first of all, they get points for cleverness. A whole bunch of guys in Alabama escaped from the Walker County Jail. A dozen inmates escaped by using peanut butter to change the numbers above a door and trick a new jailer into opening another door that goes outside. This is what the sheriff of Walker County said earlier today. Now, they've recaptured. Most of these guys, right? So here's what they did. The inmates changed the number above one cell to the number of a door that went directly outside. So when an inmate asked a new jailer to let him into his cell, they had put the, the number of his cell over the door that actually leads outside. So see what they did there? They did the old switch-o change. They did the fumble ruski, right? So the door that goes outside is numbered, let's let's say twenty-one. Well, now over a cell, there's a peanut there's a peanut butter number of twenty-one. Then, meanwhile, over the door that leads directly outside, they put that cell number. Let's say the cell was twenty-two, whatever. That's now over the door that goes outside. So the prisoner says to the jailer, "Hey." Open up on 22, and the jailer goes, right, opening up on 22. And he goes, presses the button for the wrong door, and he actually opens up a door that leads outside. The group then fled, throwing off their orange uniforms and using blankets to climb over a fence top with razor wire on Sunday evening. Sheriff Underwood said this, quote, it may sound crazy, but these people are crazy like a fox, close quote. Well, they got most of them back. Here's the thing. They might be crazy like a fox right up to the point where you actually read what they are in there for. Okay, look, there's one guy who was in there for attempted murder, okay? He's going to be arraigned. He's going to be sent to trial. And then if found guilty, he's going to go to a state prison. Because, folks, if you don't know this, county jail in most counties in America, most states in America, county jail doesn't keep anyone 
who's in jail for less than a year. You do county time for 359 days or less, right? You do unpaid traffic tickets, 10 days. You do this or that, 30 days. Um, You can steal a car and only do 180 days in county jail. And so, in other words, you don't do the hard prison time in jail. Now, if somebody is in Folsom Prison in California for life, I understand why they escape. Because they're saying, you know what, this is it. I don't want to die here. I don't. I don't want to live here. I'd rather die running than staying here. So they they escape. That you know what? That actually makes sense. County jail. Check this out. One guy, the the youngest guy, the eighteen year old, he was in there for failure to appear. Um, you know what? You miss your speeding ticket readout at eight a.m. You miss that roster call, um, and maybe you you forgot the date, and you're not there for your speeding ticket that you said you were going to contend guess what you have failure to appear an FTA it's a it's a what's called a what's it called a contact warrant you get pulled over you do a bad right turn and they go oh look at that you have a failure to appear up there in Threadgill County now are they going to extradite you probably not but anyway bottom line this idiot was probably going to be in front of a judge this morning and he would get out of jail for his failure to appear but instead he now is facing escape charges and in fact, most of these guys were going to be out in a few days or weeks, but instead they collectively got together and decided, you know what I'll do? I, <laughs> you know what we should all do? Escape and guarantee we're here for the year. So these guys are not crazy like a fox. I'm uh, absolutely sorry about that. But it's still a, uh, a bold escape, a, a plan well executed, poorly thought through. That really is uh, how it boils down. John Thomas will join us next hour, a CNN political analyst, uh, and we'll take your phone calls and some more stuff as the Scaramucci fallout continues here. He's back with you now, because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops. Buck Sexton with America Now. Brian Suits filling in for Buck from KFI in Los Angeles. That's where I am right now, currently sitting in Sherman Oaks, California, where it's 100,000 degrees, which is normally okay, except that it's also it's a humid 100,000. So it's a uh, extremely bad scene, or harsh toke, as the kids are saying these days out here. We'll talk health care and Bernie Sanders' confused understanding of how economies work, unless... Of course, he's negotiating for a third house. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that. But right when we thought we were going to be hearing all this caterwauling and whining about how Trump um, ordered American police to beat up suspects on Friday, apparently. That's what some people take away from his little side, his comment about putting suspects in cars. Then along sucking up the news oxygen is Anthony Scaramucci being fired. So I just can't stay on top of everything. Luckily, uh, in case of emergency, we break the glass and we pull out John Thomas, CNN pundit and uh, politician uh, analyst extraordinaire. Uh, Welcome back to the show, John. Thanks, Brian. Good to be with you. Where do we, uh, let's start chronologically. Um, Trump had a message about MS-13 and MS-13, which began in Los Angeles in in the late 80s, now has taken a very firm foothold for, for the last couple of years. 
on Long Island and in New York and on the East Coast. And so he's there to announce all these federal initiatives. He's the attorney general is in El Salvador where he can't can't be thrown under a bus. So there's no buses. So he's down there. And then he extemporizes and he tells a story which clearly wasn't true. The president of the United States didn't tell any law enforcement official to not guard the heads of suspects as you're putting them in the in the car. But he tells a story. Mm-hmm. He get he get and it's, it's in the spirit of talking to a Shriner convention, you know. And the police laugh, and so the American left goes ape poop over this because they equate it to Trump is telling police to brutalize suspects. So did he do that on purpose? No, it was all tongue in cheek. I mean, are you saying that did he do it to distract the news cycle and drive the left crazy? Is that the well, I mean, what? Why doesn't he have that reflex that I have in that I want to stay employed on the radio, where I say to myself, self, I just had a thought. Should I express that thought, or should I put that <laughs> thought away? <laughs> Perhaps yeah. tell it tell it off air to my producer. Kind of yeah. He doesn't have that same kind of filter. And, and you know what? Trump's biggest problem is that he's a victim of his own success. You know, he's president of the United States, and he did it his way. The trouble is being a candidate and actually being an office holder, while there are some similarities, you really it's, – it's different. It's easier to rail against the establishment than now voters expect not only do your words matter because you're the one setting policy, but they expect you to come through on your campaign promises – you know, and so things that he promised, like health care reform, tax, uh, repeal and replace, tax reform, building that wall, he has to start getting those things done because the challenge he's got is, is that he's, it's a blessing in one sense that his base has stuck with him almost through thick and thin. But even his base will leave him at some point if he doesn't get meaningful progress done on these agenda points. You know, possibly, but I'll tell you what, watching – MSNBC watching the the cable media go bananas on Friday and Saturday in just complete shock. And they had every police chief from a major liberal town on denouncing what Trump said. But you know what? Out there amongst most Americans dealing with crime, he said something that most people think but don't say out loud. And no one wants the accused to be beaten up as if they're guilty or, you know, whatever. It's just that what he said basically was— Hey, these MS-13 guys are complete asshat dirtbags, and they, they're they lucky that they get a lawyer. They don't deserve the civil rights that we guarantee them, um, and, and maybe they should know that the cops are in charge as they're getting in the car. You know, nobody from a red state is going to disagree with that sentiment. They're going to say, okay, they, get, they have the rights. It's just that you get a guy who just duct-taped a 17-year-old up and then stabbed him to death, right? and if he bonks his head— if, you're, if the cop is doing a, quote, brake check, where you just tap on the brakes, you know, to check the safety of the car, uh, you know, n- no one's going to cry. They, on that issue in particular, it's moments like that where Trump shows to his base that he gets them, that they have, you know, shared priorities because no politician other than Donald Trump would ever dare say that. So you're right. In those kinds of moments, it's reaffirming to his base. Um, I, I don't really think the the occasional hysteria that the left gets into on things like this, or uh, was it Kafevi or Kafevi or Kafefe? Yeah. Oh, thank you. The, that, the, the late night tweet, the famous famous late night tweet. 
Right. But those kinds of things, they don't hurt Trump. In fact, they kind of humanize him in a way and, and show the shared values he has. It's the larger problem that he's having uh, when, when he goes off half-cocked, for instance, uh, announcing the transgender ban. That very well it may be within his purview, but the rollout could have been smoother. And so it causes frustration within his uh, White House, frustration with the DOD, and it all ends up hurting his ability at the end of the day to move members of Congress to drive his agenda. Yeah, because they're afraid of being in the frame with the picture uh, of, of him. And so so also sort of along those same lines, and, and John Thomas, CNN political pundit, joins us um, along those same lines— what did play well with the most Americans, which is like, let's be in charge. Let's kick these dirtbag gangsters out, the whole thing. You apply that to Anthony Scaramucci. And I got this feeling from from as as a middle American myself um, from from a actually from a blue state. But but as a simple man of the people. I got the feeling when I saw Anthony Scaramucci rolled out that a lot of, you know, your Iowans and your Utahns and your Ohioan, Ohioans and, and the rest, they looked at him. They didn't quite adhere. They didn't didn't quite stick with him. He didn't look or sound like the majority of people who voted for Trump. And they never really were were comfy with this guy. Yeah, he was a little too slick. I mean, Trump liked him for a variety of reasons. You know, they call him mini mooch. Uh, because he, he was channeling Trump in, in many ways. They're both, both from New York. They have real estate backgrounds. They're both affluent, although Trump is richer, more rich than, than Mooch. Uh, but Trump wanted somebody who could stop the leaks, reshape the press department, reset the relationship with the White House and the press, and actually be, be an active fighter for Trump and try to win those daily narrative wars that Spicer simply was able, unable to do. From what I understand, my sources in the White House say the mooch firing was very simple. There, they have a brand new chief of staff, General Kelly. The chief said to Trump, I have conditions if I'm going to be your chief. That is, I have complete authority to hire and fire anyone within the White House that I see fit. They must be loyal to me. And you may recall, Brian, that when Mooch was hired, that he, he made it clear and public that he reports directly to the president and no one else. And, and that was, that was his for, condition to take the job. That's correct. And that's not going to work for General Kelly, not just because that's effective management, but a lot of the reason people say that Reince Priebus was a failed chief of staff was that he never uh, in, engendered – respect from members of Congress or other leaders because they felt he never had power himself, that he was simply a yes man, that he, he couldn't control things. And part of that is if you have all of these separate forces that you don't control. So General Kelly said, look, if I'm going to be an effective chief, people have to know I have power myself. Uh, and they called Reince Priebus the seat cushion because he retained the impression of the last person who sat on him. True or false? <laughs> that, that's true. That's true. But then, of course, you add on top of it that Scaramucci had, you know, uh, he'd been in office or been in power for eleven days. He had one good day, but you know, this whole infighting on the record with Reince Priebus uh, attacking people for leaking and then leaking himself—he had had too many slip-ups. It was a bumpy few days, 
he should have been terminated regardless because Bryant, he never had any experience at being a comms director. There's a no. big difference between being a, an occasional pundit on the Fox Business Channel and being the director of communications for the White House, never mind this White House. And then he gives a profanity-laced interview on the record, which, you know, again, Trump won with the evangelicals. And if Scaramucci had been heard using that language, you know, in front of, uh, uh, sure. you know, any any of the, the evangelical PAC meetings or conventions or whatever, it's shocking to most people that, the, you know, it's stunning. And, and so I so I take Kelly as chief of staff and, and writing the ship. I, I honestly looks to me like the first sign of actual stability is now in the White House, that that this firing is actually a good sign. It's not an indicator of chaos. It means that you got a guy in charge and Trump has agreed. Yeah, you're, you make the calls. No, I, I think it's a, it's a great step. Um, Kelly's not messing around. It'll be fascinating to see who they do fill for comms director because, Brian, I can't underscore the importance of a seasoned, strong comms director. And remember, the comms director is not the person who's supposed to be in front of the camera. They're the ones behind the scenes helping coordinate the message for all White House departments. And they're supposed to not just think about today's cycle – but two weeks, three weeks, a year out, where the White House needs to be from an agenda and messaging standpoint. They can't get caught up in whole, you know, doing three or four interviews a day. That's just not productive. And it looked like Scaramucci was trying to do too many things at once. And, and also for people who, ha- who are just getting inundated with news, if you missed this, General John Kelly, uh, the Secretary of Homeland Security, on Friday, was named the new chief of staff. Former Marine general, four-star general, lost his own son as a Marine Corps platoon leader in the war on terror. Congressperson Barbara Lee, a self-described progressive Democrat from the Bay Area in San Francisco, she tweets out the following. I mean, literally just minutes after he's named, two, uh, that, would be, that would be five in the afternoon D.C. time on Friday. This congresswoman from California said, quote, By putting General John Kelly in charge, President Trump is militarizing the White House and putting our executive branch in the hands of an extremist, close quote. (laughs) Can you believe any other era in American history? And that what that congresswoman saying that about a Marine general that he's because he was a Marine dad, that he's an extremist. That would be front and center. Well, she she would have been she would have resigned because she would have gotten beaten in her next election effort. No, you're 100 percent right. I mean, that's really the sad state of affairs of our politics. Um, all right, John Thomas, you see him on CNN and other outlets, always with a suit and tie. And uh, the uh, the next ass he kisses will be the first. That should be on your business cards, by the way. <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> all right, John Thomas. Thanks, Brian. Uh, joins. All righty. Uh, thanks all for joining us. We'll be back in just a minute. What do we do about a problem like North Korea? Some thoughts on that. Uh, Brian Suits filling in, and you have Buck Sexton with America Now. Hey, welcome back. Buck Sexton with America Now. Brian Suits filling in for Buck at Dark Secret Place on the Twitter machine. And... Uh, late, late, uh, late breaking text news here over the super secret hotline uh, iPhone. Scaramucci escorted off of White House property. 
New reports alleged that former White House Communications Director Anthony Scaramucci was not just relieved of his position within the Trump administration, but was escorted off the White House property. You know, though, that's that's not always, um, you know, that has sort of a connotation like he was stealing the snow globe, you know, or something like that. That is fairly standard in the world uh, today. And I mean, and look what happened to Reince on Friday. He they actually he resigned on Thursday night, but he still gets on Air Force One. And flies to the event on Friday from D.C. at uh, Long Island. They fly back to Andrews, Joint Base Andrews, there in D.C. And Reince gets into a van that was supposed to go back to the White House with other staffers. The other staffers get off the van and leave him alone. Um, and he is driven back to the White House by himself, where undoubtedly he packs up, you know, and the whole thing. And I don't know if they give him one of those mail, you know, U.S. post office, you know, clear plastic things or, or what. But there, there is a way to terminate people. It's kind of a standard way. And it doesn't matter if you're a bank president or, or whatever. And by and large, I mean, wherever you work, I don't care where you work, there's a guide now, in, in our litigious age, people getting sued for, for uh, firing someone wrong, uh, there's a standard template on how to fire somebody. And generally, the last couple steps are notify building security, um, assist the former employee in cleaning out their workspace, ensure they don't take any company-issued items, and kindly walk them to the elevator or the front door. And I mean, the, the reason for that is so that someone doesn't suddenly trip on that bump on the carpet they've been complaining about for 10 years and sue the company. I mean, there's a reason for that. I don't know about the White House, but that's just kind of the way it is. But it still is a pretty ignominious end for the for 11-day Tony. Um, people are calling him, you know, the Mooch or Anthony Walnuts. I'd go with 11-day Tony. Um, but that's that's fairly standard. I know <clears throat> some of the jobs I've had in radio where I've been where I've been let go after a management agreement. I mean, pardon me, disagreement where they think I've been fired and I think I still work there. I, I you know, they generally they walk you to the door. And in radio, in fact, the way this is what's really cheesy about radio. If they know they're going to fire you, what they do is they let you do one last show, and then at the end of your shift. They say, hey, man, great show today. Give me your card key because it was your last. They, they never let you go back on the air and say goodbye to the audience. right? That's just how, simply how it's done because there have been so many complete asshats who've screwed it up for, for honorable people. That's how it's done in radio. You, they, just, they escort you uh, out of the studio. You go clean up your stuff. And you delete your porn, or if you have it. I wouldn't know what that is. But uh, you, you clear your URL history and you're gone. So that's there's that. So that's that's uh, the end of Scaramucci, and I'm not sure. We're we're gonna scan the news. We'll we'll go. Uh, Friday, Priebus was on CNN by eight o'clock East Coast time. He went right on with Wolf, and he said, "I'm still a Trump fan," you know, and the whole thing. So we'll we'll scan for Scaramucci. I sense that Scaramucci is not gonna be much different than Priebus on that. That he'll go in front of a camera. He loved the camera twelve days ago. He probably. Uh, Loves it a little more. 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-BUCK. We uh, will talk about North Korea. What um, happened on Friday morning was that the North Koreans 
um, tested or validated or did a drill on their Wasong 14 ICBM. This is the ICBM that they tested on July 3rd, our time, July 4th, Korea time, earlier this month. And it had a, uh, a range far greater than any missile they have tested up to that point. Of course, they, they extrapolate the range by shooting it high up into the atmosphere. The one on Friday was fired even higher up in the atmosphere, almost 3,800 kilometers, which, by the way, for reference, the International Space Station orbits at 408 kilometers, right? So, so this was almost uh, eight times higher than the International Space Station on a ballistic path. So the engineers can extrapolate from a 47-minute time of flight plus 3,800 kilometers, uh, they can extrapolate and and correspond that to a range. Well, the range, according to the North Koreans, is that most of America now is under their nuclear umbrella. And there's a weird meme came up over the weekend that if you live in a part of America where they have waffle houses, the waffle house chain, very southern, right? It's very east of the Mississippi and south of the Mason-Dixon line. We don't have the waffle house out west. Anywhere where you don't have the Waffle House, you are at, at um, risk of being under Kim Jong-un's nuclear thumb. So we'll talk about that when we come back and take your calls. 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-BUCK. And somebody is hacking Game of Thrones. But um, U.S., China, Russia, everybody versus North Korea, or does North Korea have friends? That and more as we take it up on the other side of this next break. Brian Suits filling in from Los Angeles. And ye have Buck Sexton with America Now. He's back with you now, because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops. Hey, it's Buck Sexton with America Now. Brian Suits filling in for Buck. My home base is KFI in Los Angeles, where it's a lovely 102 or something like that out here. And I'm a complete wiener because it's humid. You know, normally it's dry here, so we don't complain about the weather. But when it's humid, it is uh, it is uh, the weather. President Trump tweeted just about an hour ago, and I looked for before and after. It's sort of out of left field. But he tweeted, quote, a great day at the White House, close quote. So not, not exactly um, so long, Anthony. We hardly knew you or anything like that. But great day at the White House. Even Reince didn't get that on Friday. Like, wow, so glad to be rid of that spineless worm or anything like that. Um, but real quickly, actor Sham, Sam Shepard uh, dying at the age of 73. He had, he had ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. I, I did not know that. Possibly most, most known, most well-known for his portrayal of Captain Chuck Yeager in The Right Stuff. Uh, an iconic role. He was nominated for an Academy Award. And if, if you've ever seen what Chuck Yeager looks like, uh, he doesn't look like Sam Shepard, but they cast Sam Shepard because Sam Shepard had sort of the, the laconic uh, sort of uh, drawl, uh, Chuck Yeager from West Virginia and all that. And, yeah, and by the way, Yeager, who is, who is alive and tweeting. And by the way, if you don't follow Chuck Yeager, uh, go to at Jen Chuck Yeager, General Chuck Yeager. He's, he's a great Twitter follower because he is just cantankerous. He will not put up with your crap about your stupid questions about World War II. His answer half the time is buy my book, buy my book, buy my book. But he he did endorse the the movie, and it's a great movie, an iconic. If Martians landed and said, "Take us to your American movie," I gotta say, um, right stuff. I think it's hard to beat. It's a great, 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 great movie. And if you're if you're looking for fun vacation stuff, if you are an aficionado of that movie, then you know 
that the bar depicted outside of Edwards Air Force Base, uh, the legendary bar called Poncho Barnes Happy Bottom Flying Club or Riding Club, um, it burned down. Well, it's it actually physically still there. If you ever are in Southern California or you road trip out to Southern California, you can actually get on the road like you're driving to the museum at Edwards Air Force Base. And if you know how to get there, you can go tour the wreckage because it was actually a huge place. It wasn't a shack. It wasn't a dive bar made out of tar paper. It was actually a, a weekend ranch with an airstrip. You actually flew in and you rented horses uh, and all that. But it did burn down, but you can go uh, check it out. So anyway, Sam Shepard. Uh, also playwright, uh, dead at the age of 73. So the submarine activity around uh, off the east coast of North Korea is raising some concerns because the North Koreans um, have, they don't have a, a, a very capable fleet of submarines, but they do they do have a lot of smaller old school diesel subs, which if, if skippered correctly, are, are still pretty quiet if, if, if the crew is good. Uh, you know, a sub doesn't have to be nuclear to be quiet. It just the old diesel subs run on uh, batteries, and so when they're underwater, and the North Koreans have those. The North Koreans are also trying to perfect a submarine-launched ballistic missile, and they have actually successfully fired their missiles from their one test submarine. Now, you, if you can imagine how a submarine is, right? There's the conning tower, that fin-like, flat-topped uh, control area when the submarine is surfaced, right? Well, the North Koreans have a missile silo in that, and they surface, they shoot the missile, or they can actually do it submerged. So this is um, very quietly, there's a lot of concern about that because the North Koreans have done three things on parallel tracks, and they've succeeded so far. This is, this is why there is very quietly a lot of deep concern. I'm not going to say panic, but there's a lot of deep concern in the Missile Defense Agency about whether or not North Korean missiles could actually be intercepted if fired at North America, anywhere in North America. And the ground-based missile defense has two primary locations, Fort Greeley, Alaska, and then Vandenberg Air Force Base near Lompoc, California, on the Pacific Coast. Well, they don't exactly have the best track records, and that's against known incoming test target ballistic missiles fired from the eastern Pacific. Okay, so the test is set. They know when it's going to be fired. They know the day and date. They, it's part of the drill. And then these missiles are not 100%, even with a thumb on the scale, right? So they know this. They're not advertising this. Um, and then over the weekend, the, literally the day after the North Korean test of their longer-range Wasong-14, the U.S. Army— um, the Aerospace Command up in Alaska did a test fire of the so-called THAAD missile, the uh, theater high altitude or terminal high altitude air defense. So these are the missiles that we put into South Korea. After some of the initial tests a few uh, months ago, the South Korean government at the time asked the U.S. Army to bring that high altitude anti-ballistic missile defense into South Korea. Now, it doesn't have the greatest track record either. But the test over the weekend on late Saturday night was a success. So great. Terrific. So the, there's a message to the North Koreans, which is, look, um, this thing has now succeeded more often than it has failed. And so unless you're planning on literally mass producing these ballistic missiles, 
you you had better think twice about even threatening us with those because it's a it's a fool's errand. It's, a, it's an empty threat. We'll shoot them down. We'll shoot them down as they're ascending in the so-called boost phase. We'll shoot them down from ships or from South Korea. We'll shoot them down mid-course if we have to, or we'll shoot them down um, uh, after the, their apogee as they're arcing down to uh, Brian's house in California or to, uh, to Buck's house. Uh, so don't even try it because we're too good. The fear um, in the Missile Defense Agency is that the North Koreans have so far shown that they're far more clever than we gave them credit for. And in one very important way, <clears throat> when they do missile, and by the way, they're no longer doing missile tests. These are drills. Okay, so get that out of your mind. This missile on Friday worked better than any other than they have tested. Their engineers sit there and they calculate estimated performance of the missile. And maybe they said 48 minutes flight time. Maybe they said 3,900 kilometers. Well, they saw what the missile actually did. Now they can refine their data and they can say, all right, now we can predict with a little more accuracy what this thing is capable of. So they take steps and they've now incorporated, and this is the ominous part about the North Koreans. When Again, when I say they're no longer testing, they're now drilling, they also incorporate into these launches the movement of the missiles on their transporters because this is part of their war plan. The North Koreans have had 60 years to dig these, these tunnels. They dig ground-level tunnels into hillsides. And what they've been doing over the last couple of years is when they do a major test launch, they parallel it, they decoy us with several transporters going to different parts of the country. So we actually don't know where to look. We know that one of them is going to launch an actual genuine missile that they're going to track. We just don't know where they're going to launch it from because they've been moving those launch sites around. And they have several hundred, but they've been using several dozen for the last two years. So we actually don't know where to look. They've done a very good job of keeping our eyes off the actual launches. So we're, and this is, again, the dirty secret that the Pentagon is not going to hold a press conference and tell you, but we're missing the launches. We're not seeing the launches. We're keeping our eyes on where we think there's activity. Problem is the North Koreans make activity happening at a dozen places. We don't know which one to stare at all the time. And so we've been missing some of the launches when the missile is at its most vulnerable in the what's called the boost phase. The North Koreans are not stupid. They figured that out. They said, look, we can't hide from the satellites. We can't shoot the satellites down. But what we can do is tunnel. We can tunnel and we can decoy. And so the greatest nightmare for the Missile Defense Agency, and they, they felt so strongly about it that they had to release a statement over the weekend saying, we are absolutely confident that we can intercept anything that comes from North Korea. And you know what? I'm confident that they're confident. But their nightmare scenario is that the North Koreans are about to perfect a nuclear warhead that will actually fit on this missile and will be under 500 kilograms. It'll be a, a small payload, but who cares? It's a nuke. You want to be under it? I don't. And that they'll employ it by hiding it in a mountain. They'll decoy it with a dozen other launchers that look just like it. And then if they do want to launch it at Japan or Guam or Hawaii uh, or Man Nancy Pelosi or Missouri, if they do want to launch it and they want to give it the greatest chance of getting through, they'll launch 20 others that are non-nuclear and throw those decoys up there. Maybe, in fact, the first wave would be fake. The first 10 coming over Alaska would be fake. 
And they would just sit there and assume that before the U.S. Army can reload the THAAD launchers, the follow-up two minutes later would be the actual nuke. That's the nightmare. You know, it's funny because there was a time when we had to worry about 8,000 or 10,000 missiles coming from one particular country. Just knowing full well that if 10% got through, we are wiped out. Well, okay. There was almost, in a way, that was almost more rational. You could almost deal with it. In this case, this guy, he just wants one to get through. And he's not afraid of the consequences because he's been planning to survive a nuclear counterstrike. Uh, all right, we'll take some calls. 800, pardon me, uh, 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-BUCK. We'll take some calls and we'll talk a little more about North Korea and what the end game is in North Korea. And by the way, it's not going to be happy news. Spoiler alert. I'm not going to turn your frown upside down about North Korea when we come back. Buck Sexton with America Now. Brian Suits filling in for Buck and the president calling out China yesterday saying that failed prior American presidents didn't hold China's feet to the fire. China making billions and trillions off of American trade, but doing nothing in all caps. Nothing. And the Chinese struck back today and said, hey, don't make two things into one thing. Don't turn trade into we should pressure North Korea. And one of the things that the, the Chinese are sort of afraid of saying out loud is that their influence with North Korea has waned significantly under Kim Jong-un, where, where they had significant influence over North Korea when Kim Jong-il was in charge of the middle Kim. And when his dad, Kim Il-sung, uh, was appointed uh, by the Soviets as head of the country, it was China that bailed North Korea out in the Korean War. The, the North Koreans began the Korean War by invading the South in June of 1950. But by November, MacArthur had turned the tables. And uh, by the way, a little trivia question, Pyongyang was the only communist capital liberated in the entire Cold War. Uh, the Marines were landed behind the North Korean lines. The North Koreans fled back north and were pouring across the border into China when the Chinese entered the Korean War in November of 1950 uh, and then went on to lose thousands of guys. But <clears throat> since then, in, throughout the, the Cold War, the Chinese slowly lost influence with the North Koreans, who were always a Soviet client state. When the Soviet Union collapsed, North Korea said, I can't stay mad at you, and they got closer to China. The problem is now that they're a nuclear power, Kim Jong uh, Kim Jong Il told his son Kim Jong Un, and who was one of his youngest sons. He he he, he the, the son used to dress up in uniforms and order the other kids around. That's Kim Jong Un. His oldest son was that loser who got caught going to the Tokyo Disneyland and all that. But Kim Jong Il told his successor Kim Jong Un that look uh, now with nukes you can be friends with China or not. They're useful. For, for certain things, no matter what kind of trade embargoes the world puts on us, we don't have to worry about it because the Chinese will always buy our stuff and lie about it. But you don't need them. If they ever try to pressure you to not continue with the ICBM program, with the missile program, just cut them off. And so what Kim Jong-un, one of the first things he did when he consolidated power was he killed his uncle. His uncle was the direct line to Beijing. He croaked him. And then uh, his uncle's son, his cousin— he croaked him. And then the last vestige of a direct line to Beijing was 
Kim Jong-nam, his oldest brother, the one who looked like his dad, like, like Kim Jong-il. And he didn't even live in North Korea anymore. He lived, lived in Macau, in Chinese Macau. The Chinese were floating his boat. They were paying his money. And Kim Jong-nam was killed in a very public, ugly, brutal way. Remember, he's walking through the airport in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. Two girls come up to him and tell him that it's a reality TV show. They spray him. They put a shirt over his face and they poison him. He is dead within minutes. And that body, because Kim Jong-un threatened Malaysia, he, he kidnapped Malaysian citizens in North Korea. Like, you're there? Why? But he kidnapped them and said to Malaysia, I want my brother's body back. I want the North Korean citizens you've detained back. And I don't care what you do to those two girls because they're not North Koreans. So he has cut off China. And this is one of the problems that China has. They don't want to say this out loud, but they very well may not have any influence with North Korea. And also the Chinese aren't saying something out loud. And that is that they like having a buffer state. They, they like, the, that's the old joke, they love Koreans so much they want two of them. They want North and South Korea. Uh, because the Chinese know that if North Korea collapses, those people, those 20 million zombies, they're, they're going north. So they, they know. So that is kind of the problem is that China may not have the, uh, the influence. Japan seems to know that. But uh, Japan also is backing for their action in North Korea. Uh, and that includes uh, for them. The Chinese realize, pardon me, the Japanese and now the South Koreans are realizing, get more Americans on your soil. Because the more, more Americans you can have invested in this. Uh, the better for us, because if you wake up tomorrow morning and a small tactical nuclear weapon was used on South Korea, it will kill Americans. It will kill several hundred Americans and we will be outraged and we will declare that is the end of that little pissant commie state. And that is the only way South Korea survives. And Japan, the North Koreans aren't going to invade Japan. But their goal is reunification with the South. And just to give you the scale of that, can you imagine tomorrow morning waking up, hearing that the seventh largest economy on Earth, who probably, if they didn't make your big screen, they made your phone uh, or some other device, in, or maybe they made the car you're driving, your, your Hyundai, your Kia, your LG phone, <clears throat> your... A Samsung phone or flat screen or your, uh, you know, appliance. That is a heavy manufacturing economy, also a technical economy, the seventh largest economy, and suddenly it'd be gone because the North Korean army is overrunning the country. And suddenly billions, trillions are wiped off the stock exchange in a single day. Wealth is destroyed around the globe in a single day. That's a disaster. And, and I'm adding that above and beyond the hundreds of Americans that are killed. Well, that's what the South Koreans and the Japanese know. All of a sudden, it's cool to have Americans on your soil with, with the uh, assumption that the uh, North would not intentionally start a nuclear war with the United States because it would be the absolute end of them. And then uh, American warriors would have to get on the soil in North Korea and relive one of the most intense combat experiences of the last century. The Korean War uh, is, is uh, often misunderstood by quite a few people. He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back.
Hey, Buck Sexton with America Now. Hour number three, Brian Suits filling in for Buck. And we will uh, we'll take a lot of calls this hour, 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-BUCK. And bottom of the hour, we'll talk with uh, Hollywood legend Dale Dye, who needs your help, making a movie about a real-life battle that uh, he, wants, he wants to make with uh, veterans in front of and behind the camera. So we'll talk with Dale Dye. And uh, take your calls as well. Anthony Scaramucci dominating the news on the cable side. And, uh, well, here on the talk radio side, too, let's be honest. And so far, as we're scanning around, I, I am not seeing him do a, do a Reince. Reince Priebus, on Friday, he gets turfed. The, or he, he resigns Thursday night. They fly to Long Island fly back to D.C., and he gets in a van, and uh, everyone else unasses the van, leaves him alone, and he's fired. By the end of the day, he's on with Wolf Blitzer on the CNN, but he's not ratting out his bot, boss at all. He's not he's not blue-falconing Donald Trump um, at, at all. He's, in fact, practically thanking him for firing him or something. He was saying, no, I'm still a Trump fan. I'm backing the Trump agenda, you know, and the whole thing. Why do you ask, Wolf, and, uh, and 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 all that? Scaramucci, I just, I got to say, I am not feeling it from him. I don't think that tonight is the night that he's the guy who's going to get out there and say, well, we just went a different direction, and if um, you are just joining us or you haven't heard about this, the chronology that we're getting from sources, because you're never going to shut sources down, by the way. There is just no way. There's just not a way to stop leaks. And and part of the reason is built into the recipe. It's baked into the cake of Washington, D.C. It's because people want to be powerful. And if they can't be powerful, they want to work for someone who's powerful. And what drives that? What motivates that? And I, this is my own pet theory. In my observation of people who pursue power, it's because in the same way that some people have it in their DNA to gossip, and some people have it in their DNA to be virtuous. I think some people have it in their DNA to desire knowledge and power. They want to know something before everyone else does, and that's their their ultimate trump card is to sit there on K Street or some of the bars in D.C. and stand there at the bar with their buddy from college and look him in the eye and say, well, you're, I can't tell you why, but you're actually way off on that. Well, if only you knew how close you were, but that's all I'm going to say about that. If uh, Don't push me anymore, okay? I, you know what I'm talking about. Everybody had that guy in junior high or that girl in junior high that they didn't actually run for the office, but they pushed their buddy to run for office. And they didn't run for office in college or, or whatever. They wanted to be in the orbit. And that's why there will always be leaks. It's because if you had a bad day at the White House and you've been beaten down because the, you're the vice deputy spokesperson for agricultural policy, but you used to be the, the big man at Georgetown or, or whatever, you want to have those contacts. When a reporter comes to you and says, how are things going in the White House? How's the dynamic? How are the meetings? You know you should shut up. You know that you should keep it to yourself and be a team player. But you can't help yourself when you say, well, you didn't hear it from me. And by the way, are we off the record? And, and, and for, a, for a lot of politicians who are not familiar with this, 
If you ask a journalist, are we off the record, and you don't get an answer, you're on the record. And so Anthony Scaramucci calls the New York Times. He wants to know who leaked my financial stuff. It was Wednesday night, and he's livid. You know, the guy's a hedge fund manager. Everyone on earth knows that he's worth hundreds of millions. Not not a not a mystery. This part of the reason Trump likes him is because the guy has absolutely made himself. And he's calling the New York Times saying, who, who leaked my financial data? And then he says, and you, you know what? You don't give me that name. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to fire everybody. I fired a guy uh, today. I'm going to fire four more people tomorrow. He's bragging about this. This is all on tape. If you don't tell me who leaked, I'm going to fire everybody because i got to figure out who did it. i got to start with a clean slate. So, he, see, he's threatening the columnist, saying, geez, if I don't give up that one name, you're going to have a bunch of unemployed people on your conscience. And it doesn't work. And then he says, you know what? Something on the record. Here's on the record. Reince Priebus is a paranoid schizophrenic. This is not a real good communications director. And plus, he works directly for Trump. He doesn't actually work for the chief of staff. And it turns out Reince Priebus. And is this really, is this a surprise to anybody? And I, I, you could look at Reince Priebus. And I, I guess it's a family name or, you know, whatever. I've never heard the name in my life. The first time I heard it, I mispronounced it for a year. Uh, when Michael Steele was the head of the GOP, I thought he would be there for for a, for a while because he's a smart guy, a great strategist, but he wasn't a good behind the closed doors schmoozer like Reince Priebus was. So Priebus is in charge of the GOP for years. He lets it run absolutely off the reservation last year because he's not a strong leader. And you could look at the guy a mile away and say of the of these people, it's like the Joker when he when he says, "I know the squealers when I see them." And so Reince, clearly the leaker, Scaramucci's got him dead to rights. Reince quits on Friday, and General John Kelly is now the chief of staff. And Kelly says to Trump, look, I don't know what arrangement you have with your boy here, with Scaramucci, but I can't be the chief of staff and have the communications director go around my back and go right into the Oval Office. He has to come to me. This is a chain of command. I am a Marine general. Here's how this works. It goes from the private to his squad leader, to his platoon sergeant, to his platoon leader, to his company commander, to his battalion commander, to his regimental commander, to the division commander, to me. And then if God wants a brief, I'll brief God. That's how it works. That's how the Marine Corps works. Marine Corps, Marine Corps is not like the Army. The Marine Corps, rather in the Army, if a lieutenant is walking towards a cliff, a private can yell out, hey, sir. You're going to fall off that cliff doing about face. In the Marine Corps, the lieutenant is walking towards a cliff. I am barely exaggerating. The lieutenant's walking towards a cliff, and the private, the private is supposed to say, Corporal, what private? The lieutenant's walking towards a cliff. Oh, hang on. Hey, uh, Staff Sergeant. Yes, Corporal. The lieutenant's walking toward the cliff. All right, thank you, Staff Sergeant. Hey, Gunny, what, squad leader? The lieutenant's walking toward the cliff. All right, thank you, thank you, squad leader. Hey, lieutenant, what, Gunny? You're walking towards a... Oh, sorry, too late. In the Army, you can say, lieutenant, you're walking towards a cliff. So that's the best way I can characterize the Marine Corps and the Army. Um, the Marine Corps just destroys everything in its sight up front. It rolls over stuff because of this iron discipline, because of their chain of command. That is where John Kelly comes from. John Kelly... 
skips out of school in high school. He goes in the Merchant Marine, sees the world for a year. And he says, you know what? I like the world. The world's a pretty cool place. I want to get. I want to kill them. <laughs> he comes back, joins the Marine Corps, enlists, um, rises to four-star rank, loses his son in the war on terror. So, so don't call this guy like this wacky congresswoman from the East Bay in San Francisco, calling calling him a uh, an extremist. Now, th- this guy's been touched by war. Okay, his son died, and so I have faith in John Kelly. That's why I had faith in George Bush, George H. W. Bush saw his comrades die, shot down, never found, lost at sea in World War II. When George Bush sent me off to the Gulf War, I knew my commander-in-chief knows what this crap is that we're getting into. So I trust him, and I did. And that's terrific. My commander-in-chief, when I went off to Bosnia, had no absolute clue what war looked like. Um, and my commander-in-chief, when, we, in, in, when I was sent to Iraq, at least the guy had been in uniform. At the minimum, the guy that followed him had no clue what a war looked like. So I, I like that John Kelly is in the position he's in. So it's not a, there's no mystery on why he got rid of Scaramucci. And, and obviously, you know, in the news cycle that we're in these days, it's going to be forgotten when, uh, when we ding over to Tuesday. Scaramucci is going to be a footnote. He'll be a trivia question. So earlier today, the regular press gaggle was held. Sarah Huckabee Sanders, or Sarah Sanders, was there. Scaramucci was not. He was packing his stuff and apparently being escorted out. And after H.R. McMaster gave a briefing about Venezuela and everyone fell over asleep and didn't care. And then Secretary of the Treasury, Steve Mnookin, who's also the executive producer of uh, Lego Batman, if you didn't know that. Uh, That's actually in the credits. Um, He speaks, and then... Sarah Sanders gets up there. She goes, blah, 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 greatest stock market ever, jobs, all jobs. All right, what are your questions? And it was a cavalcade, and they wanted to know about Scaramucci. So uh, we'll, we'll play. You know what? Let's do this, uh, production crew. Let's play two and three in a row so we get all the Sarah we can get. This is Sarah Huckabee Sanders uh, dealing with the Scaramucci deal earlier today. The president certainly felt uh, that Anthony's comments were inappropriate for a person in that position, um, and he didn't want to burden General Kelly uh, also with that line of succession, as I think we've made clear uh, a few times over the course of the last couple of days to several of you individually, but uh, General Kelly has the full authority um, to operate within the White House, and all staff will report to him. Look, we're continuing to focus on the president's agenda. Uh, We're going to have staff changes. We let you guys know when they happen. But like I said earlier, what matters to us are not uh, the jobs that are within this building, but the ones outside of there. That's why the president's been so focused on growing jobs. And they they started that on Friday with Reince Priebus saying, you know, we're not concerned about one job that no longer exists. We're we're concerned about all the jobs out there in America. And it's a pretty, pretty good little reflex there. And then they use it again. And then you heard... She did comment that the president felt that Anthony's comments were inappropriate. So he's he's reacting to the profanity-laced interview that he put on tape at the New York Times about Reince Priebus being a paranoid schizophrenic and senior advisor Steve Bannon uh, evidently metaphorically uh, able to pleasure himself in an intimate fashion, um, in, in, only possible with the most flexible of human beings, and... Uh, so I also get the feeling, by the way, that Steve Bannon probably didn't take that very well. 
And so before Scaramucci hangs up the phone, Bannon is talking to Trump saying, hey, that guy that you brought in here, you better lay him out. You better spread eagle him out and get him to apologize to me and Reince or do something. But I'm not working with that guy if he doesn't clean up his act. And Trump doesn't want anyone overshadowing him. If, if he decides every day that he wants to release a cage of rabbits, then he doesn't want anyone's talk to the New York Times, uh, you know, getting in the way of that. So the, so the guy's gone. Chief of Staff is now, is now General John Kelly, and uh, it's all over. And, and again, remember the days when this story, the, the, this last 72 hours from, from the Chief of Staff resigning to, and Scaramucci saying what, what he did, and then the, the dirt on Scaramucci, Scaramucci's divorce coming out, that his wife separated from him a few weeks ago because of his, she said, naked ambition. Scaramucci wasn't even at the birth of his second son last Monday. He was with Trump at the Jamboree, at the Scouts Jamboree. She was also two weeks early. So just to be fair to the guy, and that he texted her that, you know, my, you know you're in my prayers and the whole thing. And I don't know how divorced couples have babies. You know, I don't know. Maybe that's the, that's the, those are the rules. Those are the manners that if you hate each other, but your wife is still pregnant, you're not in the delivery room. But anyway, it's all water under the bridge. It's a private business. And I, I, I bet you by tomorrow, it's all forgotten. Um, spe- speaking of forgotten, how is anyone going to fund single payer Bernie? Bernie Sanders, for some reason, is raising his profile. And he's not because he wants to brag about his third house. It's because he wants to impose single-payer health care on the country, and he just won't go away. And he won't go away because they keep putting him on TV. Uh, so we'll play you some Bernie when we come back and take some phone calls, 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-BUCK. Brian Suits filling in from Los Angeles. My home base is KFI here in lovely L.A., uh, failed state, USA. Buck Sexton with America Now. Buck Sexton with America Now. Brian Suits filling in for Buck. And my home base is KFI in Los Angeles. You can follow me on the Twitter machine at Dark Secret Place. Because I am the host of the Dark Secret Place. And please subscribe to my YouTube channel where I I send uh, word signals with my mouth uh, about very, very informative things. And my YouTube channel, if you just go to um, unsheepyourself.com, like let's say you're a sheep and you don't want to be a sheep anymore, you would unsheep yourself, right? So one word, unsheepyourself.com, and subscribe to my YouTube channel. And we'll talk with Dale Dye, Hollywood legend, uh, the guy who makes movies look realistic, war movies. Uh, he's, a, he's a great friend, and he has a project that he needs your help with on Indiegogo, so check that out here coming up in a couple of minutes. Bernie Sanders won't go away, and I thought he had been invalidated, and I thought all the kiddies that followed him were pretty much were uh, crying into their, their kale smoothies because they found out that he is a millionaire and has three houses. But he apparently is still getting enough people in the media to believe his BS that he's getting airtime. And also, he's still a senator. But you know what? He's, at least he went back to being an independent because he never was a Democrat. So um, Bernie Sanders explaining his real loose grip on capitalism and market economies versus state and centrally controlled economies, because he's predicting that single payer uh, will succeed Obamacare. If Obamacare uh, implodes and the Trump administration is certainly doing what they can to make it implode, he says the result when the dust settles will be single payer and he says this in what we are all calling cut five 
the Obamacare repeal effort has collapsed. Um, are you going to introduce single payer? Absolutely. Of course we are. We're just, you know, we're tweaking the final uh, points of the bill. No, he's not. He's not in any influential committee. No, he's not. He's, he's calling contractors to extend his deck on his third house. That's what he's doing. Um, and there he, he was. He's being interviewed uh, by Jake Fapper on this. Um, and so now the rubber meets the road. How are you going to pay for this, Jake Fapper, with that hard-hitting question and what we have all decided to call cut six? These are cobalt blue states, Vermont and California, where people wanted single payer. Um, and there were problems because it would cost too much. How do you make it national if you can't even get it in Vermont well, or California? No, 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 no. Let's take, let's be, let's be careful about this. All right. A single payer health care system, mm -hmm. in my view, and according to studies that I have seen, would mm -hmm. save the average family <laughs> significant sums of money. Why couldn't this happen in Vermont then? I mean, what, what's the issue in Vermont? Vermont would be a, a it well, would seem to be a, I mean, a, perfect, a perfect test a, case. Well, this is politically, this is difficult. And by the way, in California, the debate is not. Oh, I was waiting to hear why I don't have single-payer health care. Did it just cut off? Did, did Jake Fapper cut him off? Oh, bummer! And by the way, I don't want to dis uh, disrespect Jake Tapper. He's, he's shown himself to be one of the few true journalists uh, in major media because everybody hates him on the left and right. Well, so, I mean, Bernie, Bernie can't, he knows they're going to ask him, um, let's say you want to actually fund single-payer. How's that going to happen? What they tried here in California— the, and the Democrats crash and burn on this. This is this is a one-party state in California, and the the party is money. They actually proposed a single-payer system here in the state of California, getting rid of all insurance, only state-provided single-payer, right? And because this state is just awash in money, and and they're so the Democrats are so drunk with it that they're able to bribe the Republicans. There's no there's no less effective Republican Party in America than the California GOP. And it's shameful because there are low of the 39 million people in this state. Most are socially conservative and they want to own guns. OK, but they, they keep taking our guns away or relabeling them, you know, this and that. Even the Democrats could not get the single payer to to work. They had to admit this is really poorly thought out. We don't know what we're doing. And then, oh, by the way, first state in America that comes up with single payer health care for everybody for free. You better, you better dig a moat. Okay, you better get alligators in that moat. Because if the entire country doesn't do it, and let's hope we don't, um, then you're just going to go with your chronic condition to the place of the single pair. And uh, frankly, it's just too crowded here anyway. Um, all right, when we come back, Dale Dye, you know him from Saving Private Ryan, the Band of Brothers, etc. He's uh, trying to make his own movie his own way because Hollywood can't do it right. Buck Sexton with America Now. Brian is filling in for Buck today, and we are fresh out of time, but we'll uh, take a phone call and uh, get to the Outback Steakhouse uh, bizarre conspiracy theory that, that real quickly, there, someone put together that if you search for Outback Steakhouses in, let's see, New York, Mesa, Arizona... Uh, Decatur, Georgia, and some other places that when you come up with our Outback Steakhouses, that if you 
if you uh, draw lines between them, you get pentagrams, you know, five-pointed stars. And so that's an Internet thing, and it's a really excellent use of people's time. And then somebody hacked HBO and possibly has all of the episodes of this season's Game of Thrones and everything else that's in the can. And uh, But if you're out there saying, well, spoiler alert, man, I've already read the books. No, the series is off the rails, man. It's away from the books. So anyway, there might be a lot of spoiler alerts. All right. Uh, so the phone's Felix. Let's talk to Felix in Pennsylvania. Thanks for calling America Now. Hey, Brian, 0822. You remember me? Yeah, we share a birthday. Not a uterus, but we share a birthday. Yes, I'm glad to hear they kept you on the short list for guest hosts. I don't know that. They might have gone. They might have passed over a whole bunch of people who were sick today and got to me. There's, there's no guarantees. Uh, hopefully, you're the number one choice. Hey, you know, I noticed something interesting. You know, all these people that are anti-Trump and these war hawks like McCain. It's interesting how Congress put this thing through, putting sanctions on. Russia, Iran, and North Korea all together, basically lumping together uh, World War Three. A hat trick. Yeah. You know, I, I just, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, and, and it's all over that bogus Trump-Russia thing, you know, that they got, a, you know, their, uh, the influence on the election. And, and what they're doing is they're pushing Russia further away. And any chances of us having any kind of di- diplomatic, you know, ties with them, that maybe could help to stave things off. I think that they're really trying to push, you know, a war on us. I, but I, I, I got to tell you, there wasn't a hell of a lot of choice anyway, because Vladimir Putin has been dead set determined to run his own foreign policy and not in any way, shape, or form cooperate with the United States or Europe or anyone else. Because as we're okay. discovering, as we're discovering, the Soviet Union was just a coat of paint over this thing called the Russians. And, right. and, you know, he didn't invade Crimea because um, Hillary told him to or Trump told him to. And MA, Malaysia Airlines Flight 17 didn't shoot itself out of the air. He's, he's not a good guy. He, he is a bad guy. And, no, and I, know, I know he is. And Trump may not have colluded or, or whatever, but there's no doubt, there's zero debate that the Russians attempted to influence our elections. And, yes— did we try to influence their 2012 elections? Yeah, that's why he hated Hillary. He hated Hillary slightly more than I do. Hillary didn't try to influence any elections in my house, uh, only erections. And so the the deal is, and certainly after here. So, but so the deal is in the pushback on on the to support Trump on the Russia stuff. There's this bizarre rush to turn Putin into a good guy. He is a bad guy, folks. He is a bad guy. Yeah, no, I- I, I agree with that, but, uh, you know, it's just the whole thing of just kind of pushing things more to the edge. But, you know, this North Korea thing, it is really worrisome because, I mean, it's not just the fact that they could drop a nuke on us, but they could EMP us, just put one up in the atmosphere and uh, take out our, our grid system. Yeah, for, for a couple hours or a couple days, but we would take that. Up. Obviously, that's an act of war. They're prepared to go to nuclear war with us, but they still wouldn't win, and ultimately— we would be standing in North Korea. The Chinese would freak out because they don't want North Korea to collapse. But it would be the end of North Korea. There would be no great loss to the world except that cheap meth and counterfeit $20 bills come out of there. But, um, you know, and, and and if you know anything about the dynamic in North Korea, it's it's not a government system. People, a lot of American naive analysts apply something like North Korea is a country, just another communist dictatorship. It makes communist dictatorships look like romper frickin' room. Okay, it's a it's a religious cult, and Kim Jong Un is a sun god who's the son of a sun god 
who was the son of the founding sun god. It's a religious cult wearing red stars. So that's what it is. That's what North Korea is. Right, right. Well, you know what? I still, after all this time, I have to say I still support Donald Trump. I was an avid Trump supporter. And the way things are going right now, it just seems like he's being blocked all the time, you know, and it's it's not his – basically, it's not his fault. So uh, I'm going to continue to support our president. And, uh, do you, do, maybe, but, but, but do you feel that he did everything he should do to get a Republican health care alternative to Obamacare? Do you really – I mean, the, the Congress – the House puts up their bill, and a month later, Trump calls it mean-spirited. And then the Senate, he's right. busy throwing his attorney general under the bus when he should be doing rallies out there, getting people to call their Democratic senators, you know, and, and, and all that. Then in the end, he's short three Republicans. And, and so, I mean, I'd like to see a guy who actually knows how laws are made in this country. I'd like a little more of that, then I'll feel like there's some winning going on. I'm just right, saying. right. Hey, that the whole statement uh, about him uh, with that the, when they put the uh, perp in the squad car. Yeah. Not to hold, not to hold their head. <laughs> Actually, I thought that was kind of funny. Most, so did most every American, especially if you've ever had someone burglarize your house or steal your car. Most people are like, hell yeah, give them a mahogany shampoo. Take your nightstick, take take your nightstick out, and feel free to give the guy a mahogany shampoo on his way into the Crown Victoria. I will not shed a tear. Now, obviously, yeah, we well, have civil rights the, in this the, country. The, the Rodney King. Well, that was a little. That was a little over the top. That was a, like a mahogany body massage. That wasn't exactly. And as a veteran of the L.A. riots and the California National Guard, I can tell you, I'd like to have those three weeks back. Well, look, you know what? I mean, it, it's it's fun to make jokes about. It. Of course, people have civil rights, you know. But uh, yeah, my brother was a New York City transit cop, and he told me of a situation where you know this guy, this perp, had actually injured a bunch of officers, and when he was arrested, being walked up, you know, out of the subway. The night watch commander was there, and he he said, like, out of a Clint Eastwood movie, was standing there in the dark. And uh, gave the guy a foot shove, you know, back down the stairs. Says, nope. Nobody's going to hurt my guys. <laughs> well, you know, the, the, the bottom line is I, you never want to live in a town where the criminals feel like they're in charge. I've lived in a few, um, and, and I've also lived in one where the residents have absolutely no idea why it's a civil society. It's, there's a town called Seattle where people right. see what happens in the daytime, but, but it's what happens when the sun goes down between midnight and 6 a.m., what, ha- what the police do to own the town are the reason that you can leave your car unlocked. And you never want to live in a town where that doesn't, doesn't happen. And, and you know why you can leave your car unlocked in Germany? is because the cops are in charge. The Polizei in Germany, they don't take your crap. They've heard it from everybody. Criminals are not in charge. You want to talk back to a German cop, you're going you're gonna to do it through broken teeth. And so you're never going to do it a second time. Now, look, in America, we do have civil rights. It's way, way different. You can't put your hand on a suspect. But... What what Democrats don't understand is that Donald Trump was striking a nerve when he said, "Feel free to rough them up in the way." These MS-13 guys should, in a, in in my world, of course, this is wrong, but in my world, they would disappear in the Atlantic Ocean, and they would send a message to each other: "Hey, where's Javier? I don't know. I haven't heard from him since he was picked up in that unmarked van, and they drove towards Atlantic City. I don't know what happened." So anyway, all right, uh, Felix, we'll let you go. Brian Tooth filling in. For Buck Sexton with America Now, you can reach me at Dark Secret Place on the Twitter machine. And as always, hopefully I'm back soon uh, and always a pleasure to fill in.